Captain George Wood stepped onto the deck of a grain freighter the evening of November 20th, 1902. It was a steel-hulled ship made to withstand the crashing waves of the Atlantic Ocean. Tonight, it would leave Port Arthur, Ontario to deliver its last cargo for the shipping season. The next stop, Midland, a port on Georgian Bay. ESS Bannockburg never made it to Midland. Something happened while crossing Lake Superior. The mystery of its foundering and its ghostly sightings continues to this day. You're listening to Ghostly Activities. I'm your guide, Jacob Rice, and this is Bannockburn, the Flying Dutchman of Lake Superior. In this episode, get the ghostly history of the Bannockburn, investigation details, possible reasons it sank, ghostly sightings, and some ghost hunting tips. Or in this case, maybe not. The SS Bannockburn was set to leave the night of November 20th, her hull filled with 85,000 bushels of wheat. Chief Engineer George Booth looked forward to the final run. His family needed him. His son was sick with diphtheria, and he had just lost his daughter to a sudden illness. After the delivery to Midland, he would take the Bannockburn downbound to Kingston, Ontario, and dock her until spring. The freighter pulled out of Port Arthur, now called Thunder Bay, and would travel along a well-established shipping lane, one that followed the Canada-U.S. border. The Bannockburn shoaled, which means ran aground, on a sandbar or muddy shallow overnight. This incident would throw off its travel time to the Sioux Locks. Now, it wasn't uncommon for ships to get delayed by a day or two during this period. No one would think twice about a ship missing its check-in by 48 hours. By 9 a.m. the next morning, the Bannockburn unloaded enough grain to float and free itself. It cruised along at 10 to 15 miles per hour as it crossed the deep waters. And by noon, a storm had come roaring down from the northwest. It was a compact storm that hovered over the north-central part of the lake, the area where the Bannockburn sailed through. Waves reached as high as 15 feet and crashed over the ship's deck. A passing ship, the SS Algonquin, saw the Bannockburn plowing through the waves and into a fog bank, the Algonquin's captain, James McMaw, watched the Bannockburn through a pair of binoculars, made a few notes in his journal about her course, and went about his business. The Bannockburn, like the Algonquin, had weathered worse storms than this. There was nothing peculiar about the ship, its condition, or route. When Captain McMaw took one last look in the Bannockburn's direction, he noticed that she wasn't there, just simply gone. He thought she had passed into the fog or was no longer in the binoculars' range. But something had happened in those few minutes. Captain McMall wrote in his notes, and it's a mystery to this day. The Sioux Locks operators weren't bothered when the Bannockburn missed its scheduled time to pass through the lock from Lake Superior to Lake Huron. That day was November 23rd, and by November 26th, the shipping community from Fort William to Montreal and every city in between buzzed with worry about the ship and her crew. Many professional Lakers thought the Bannockburn had settled into a calm bay or cove on the north shore of Lake Superior, mainly to wait out the storm. Others said the ship had stranded at Caribou Island or Mishapikatan Island. 
both islands weren't far from Whitefish Bay and the Sioux Locks. Both islands were also along the well-traveled route used by other freighters. You see, there were 40 ships on Lake Superior using the same route as the Bannockburn. None of those ships reported seeing her. On November 25th, one ship made a discovery. A steamer, the Rockefeller, passed through a debris field by Stannard Rock Lighthouse and its reef. It found hatch covers and part of a cabin. At the time, no one knew the Bannockburn had gone missing, and the debris field didn't raise many questions from the Rockefeller's crew. Stannard Rock, which has its own notorious shipwreck history, lies about 25 miles east of Keweenaw Peninsula, and it sits 80 miles southwest of the Bannockburn's last sighting. At 11 p.m. on November 21st, the Huronic, a passenger ship, reported seeing the Bannockburn, but it was more of a guess. At this time of night, the storm raged across Lake Superior, and it was pitch black. The Huronic captain may have seen Bannockburn's sister, the Rosemount, which shared the same profile and would have been on the same downbound route. Many false reports about survivors flooded the newspapers beginning on November 26th. Most stated the Bannockburn had run aground or anchored near Caribou Island, Mishapikatin Island, or along the northern coast of Lake Superior. Even the Montreal Transportation Company, the owner of the Bannockburn, got swept up in it. L.L. Henry said that the underwriters in Chicago received word the ship anchored off Mishapikatin Island. Another steamer, the Germanic, had reported seeing it there. When asked about it, though, the crew had no idea what the reporters were talking about. It was a fabrication to help soothe over the worried families of the crew. The Montreal Transportation Company sent out two tugboats to check reports. The favorite and Boynton scoured the shore and islands looking for the crew or wreck. They found nothing. On November 30th, the Bannockburn and its crew of 20 were declared lost. Most of the crew were aged between 16 and 22. The Bannockburn had an unlucky history even before its final voyage across Lake Superior. You see, it sank. Twice. The ship was built in 1893 and sank in a lock near Kingston, Ontario about four years later. She hit the wing wall of lock number 17 of the Welland Canal, which links Ontario to Lake Erie, and sank nine feet underwater. In the spring of 1902, the Bannockburn ran aground on rocks by Snake Island at full speed. They dumped over 30,000 bushels of grain before she could float again. No one died in either accident. There's also some speculation that something had happened during her voyage to Fort William in November. At the end of the shipping season, the Sulocks were drained to check their condition and do any repairs. The engineers found a steel hull plate that likely belonged to the Bannockburn, which means she had a weak hull, one that could get damaged far easier. Within seven years of her vanishing, the Bannockburn picked up a legend that she was the phantom ship seen cruising along Lake Superior during storms and in heavy fog. Normally, we start to hear about legends decades after an incident like this one, but not with the Bannockburn. James Oliver Kerwood, author of the book The Great Lakes and the Vessels That Plow Them, gave the Bannockburn its nickname, the Flying Dutchman of Lake Superior. Now, many wrecks found between 1903 and 1909, when the book was published, were thought to be the Bannockburn, 
And they weren't. She still lies, undiscovered, somewhere in the depths. The most popular ghostly tale involves another freighter, the Walter A. Hitchinson. The ship got caught in another wintry storm in November 1947. It caused the ship to lose its electronics and navigation system. The Hitchinson moved close to shore when the Bannockburn manifested and charged the ship. The crew of the Hitchinson turned hard to port side to avoid a collision. The Bannockburn charged forward, hitting rocks and getting shorn apart. It then faded away. If the Hitchinson had continued on their route, they would have hit those rocks. So, the Bannockburn acted as an omen and warned the Hitchinson's crew of the danger. More recently, in October 2016, a crew was shooting a music video near Marquette, Michigan. They spotted what looked like three masts far out in the lake. I'll post a link to Jason Aslan's video under the show notes, although I don't think Aslan captured the Bannockburn on tape. It may be another ship. And here's why. The Bannockburn manifests on stormy days or nights. And in the video, while it looks pretty windy, it's a clear day. It's also accompanied by a fog bank. So, it was a sunny day. And then, thirdly, other ships are in danger of running ashore or shoaling. And this was a video shot on shore. They just saw something out on the water. So most likely, the ship wasn't in danger if there was one there. Now, for ghost hunting tips, usually I interject here and say, hey, do this, do that. Well, I can't in good conscience send you out in the middle of Lake Superior during a winter storm and about to hit a reef. <laughs> so this is a case where I would say sit back in your favorite chair, read about it on your tablet, look into some history, do some online sleuthing instead of rowing your boat and hoping to hit a reef in 15-foot-high waves. Okay, back to the regularly scheduled programming. The Bannockburn still hasn't been found. The area where it likely sank is over 1,000 feet deep. It would take an ocean-class submersible to withstand the pressure that far down. There are three theories to why the Bannockburn sank, and they include its boilers exploded, though this is a bit doubtful because the Algonquin would have definitely seen the smoke and debris field would have been scattered over a wider area and farther north than standard rock. Another is that it ran into Superior Shoal, an underwater mountain. Now this seemed likely until you saw the route the Bannockburn took. The Superior Shoal wasn't discovered until about the 19, early 1920s and the highest point is only four feet below water, so you can imagine underwater mountain, a bit of a storm, it's possible ships could hit that. It's a pretty large shoal, too. And the impact, though, would tear the ship apart for sure, but also we would see wheat scattered everywhere, and also with the superior shoal being that close to the surface, you would definitely find wreckage, and there is no wreckage around superior shoal whatsoever. And the third is the most likely reason. And that is, as we heard earlier, the rudder broke. The ship began to list in the waves, and then it capsized. So you can imagine it can't steer. It's at the mercy of the waves. Waves are crashing onto the top of the ship. Water would get in. The wheat would shift to one side of the ship. 
it loses its buoyancy, and down she goes. Now, on June 23, 1903, the replacement for the Bannockburn entered the Great Lakes. The West Mount was a little bit longer, a little bit wider, and a little bit deeper than her sunken sister. Otherwise, she was identical. The Westmount would continue hauling grain across the lakes without incident. In 1916, she was sold and left the Great Lakes, and she continued to haul cargo until 1944, when she was destroyed by enemy aircraft off the coast of Norway during World War II. One day, we will know what happened to the Bannockburn. As for now, all we have is a legend and a plaque honoring Captain Wood in Port Dalhousie, Ontario. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ghostly Activities. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, share, like, review, and tell all of your friends about it. And if you like monsters, check out my other podcast, Monster Bureau. It's inspired by 1950s creature features. And remember, if it's ghostly, it's on Ghostly Activities. <laughs>